What's up, everybody? Welcome to Pedestal. Today, we've got another episode of Open Book, but this one, if you listen to the last one, this one's going to be a little bit different in how we approach it and how we go about it. Um, We're still opening the Bible and and walking through it, but this time it's going to be a little more literal and just open the book, right? And so you are going to get to step in with me during my Bible study time, hear about how I am doing my Bible study, you're, you're going to get to take part in that with me instead of me just gathering all the information and giving it as though it's a sermon. We're going to walk through this together because I would love for you guys to join in with me. Maybe some of you don't know how to uh, Bible study or maybe you're not very good at it. Maybe you've never done it. And this is an opportunity for you to kind of learn from that and be able to take uh, the style and the, and the way that I go about it and, and apply it to your life and to your Bible study but also to help me grow because there's a lot of things I, I, I don't uh, I don't act like I know everything that's in this Bible. I don't act like I am all-knowing when it comes to this. And so there's a lot of things that I don't fully understand and I don't get, and I would love for you guys to jump on the Facebook page, write in the comment section on this link uh, all about anything that, that stuck out to you, anything that God has spoken to you, any questions that you have, and we can further this conversation there. Um, I think that helps you and it helps me and we can grow as a community in that way. So welcome to Pedestal. Welcome to Open Book. So let's open the book. Here we go. Hey everybody, welcome to Pedestal. Today we've got a powerful message that is just strictly scripture and Bible study, so I'm super excited for you all to join me on this journey, uh, this new journey really, so welcome. I'm super excited to do this. Today we're going to be going over James 1, 1 through 4. It's really about all we're going to get through, but we're going to cross-reference that a lot with Second um, Peter 1 and mainly Second Peter 1 and some other verses throughout scripture. Um, For you first-time pedestal listeners, welcome. Pedestal is a community of people who understand that though each human is a beautifully crafted piece of art, we are not the greatest artwork in the museum. In fact, our cracks and fractures are not even worthy of display, yet we are still valuable. Our value, however, is found in elevating the perfect artwork in order to glorify the master artist our creator. So we serve our lives as the pedestal, elevating Jesus above all things. So welcome to pedestal. All right. So I'm just going to be real candid with you here and say that I was actually halfway through this Bible study when God kind of put it on my heart to make the Bible study itself the message and, and make it the idea and theme of open book. And I talked it over with my wife and she actually said she had, that she had kind of been convicted on that even before I talked to her, that that's something that God uh, would like for me to do with that. She loves the creation process. If you watch, she watches all these YouTube channels about these people creating things and she loves the authenticity of it and not necessarily just the outcome. And so it's kind of the process. She's like, that is what is so cool. And when she's like, when I talk to you, that's the thing that I love most is not just what you get from it, but seeing your brain kind of work through it all. And so this is obviously what God's been wanting. And so I'm excited about this. But with that being said, I haven't finished the studying that I've that I was doing for today, but I have done a good chunk of it. And so I'm going to kind of paraphrase and go over a little bit of what I've already learned, what God's already revealed to me during this Bible study time. And so again, please uh, listen. If you have the chance, if you're sitting at home or sitting in a coffee shop or something, pull out your Bible or open up the Bible app and follow along with me. We should be going at the same pace since this is at the pace that I'm flipping pages or or searching things to. So uh, just please feel free to join me in this. I don't want this to be me speaking a sermon, but doing this together. So I'm excited. Let's do it. Um, So we're walking through James right now. God put it on my heart to walk through James. And so always before I start any uh, reading of a new chapter, I always need to know the background about the the book 
and, and the writing and why it was written, when it was written. And so this is probably the lengthiest uh, background section that I do is at the very beginning of a new book. And so let's just walk through that together. I'm going to read it um, and, and, and just so you can get some background and, and idea of, of what this whole book's about and what context it's being written in. So um, I'm actually reading, I, I study through two Bibles. It's my Bible and my wife's Bible. The Bible that I love so much and so dearly is the Charles Spurgeon Study Bible, and it's in uh, the Christian Standard Version. So actually both of these are in the Christian Standard Version because that's a very common uh, Bible study version. So I love CSB mainly because there's so many different Bible study versions out there and people who have done Bible studies and devotionals on these, this version in particularly. I don't know why fully, but that's what it is. So I'm reading from the Charles Spurgeon Bible as well as the She Reads Truth Bible. And they've got really good devotionals and timelines and stuff in there that we'll go through. But this is the intro for the Charles Spurgeon Bible. So Let's just listen in as, as it gives us some background. It says, The circumstances of writing James. James is named as the author in 1, verse 1. A number of New Testament personalities were named James, but only three are candidates for the authorship of this book. James, the son of Zebedee, died in A.D. 44, too early to have been the author. No tradition names James, the son of Alphaeus, as the author. This leaves James, the brother of Jesus, also called James the Just, as the most likely candidate. This James is identified as the brother of Jesus in Matthew 13.55, Mark 6.3, and Galatians 1.19, though he was not a follower of Christ during his earthly ministry. A post-resurrection appearance convinced James that Jesus is indeed the Christ, which is very interesting. I don't know enough about that or why. It may just be because he was his brother and and he was jealous, or maybe, I don't know. I don't know, so I'm going to have to look into that more later. That's super interesting. But James later led the Jerusalem church, exercising great influence there. James was probably written between A.D. 48 and 52, though nothing in the epistle suggests a more precise date. James' death in A.D. 62 or 66 means this epistle was written before then, Similarly, or similarities to gospel traditions and Pauline themes, or themes that are like the Apostle Paul wrote, or Pauline themes are suggestive. If Mark was written around A.D. 65 and time is allowed for the events of Acts 15 and 21 to have occurred between Paul's first and second missionary journeys, a date between A.D. 48 and 52 seems most likely. So that's the date, essentially, 48 and 52. That's, all, that's pretty much what that's saying. James led the Jerusalem church. The reference to, quote, the 12 tribes dispersed abroad in verse 1 suggests the letter was written to Jewish Christians living outside of Israel. So that's who it was written to, Jewish Christians living outside of Israel. The reference to a synagogue in chapter 2, verse 2, also suggests that his audience were Jewish Christians. References to their Circumstances, for example, oppression by wealthy landowners, um, that could refer to congregations anywhere in the Roman Empire. However, Semitic word order, quotations from the Septuagint, and the overall dependence of the scripture or of the epistle on the Jewish wisdom tradition suggest a specifically Jewish Christian audience. So that's who it's being written to. Written between AD 48 and 52 to a specific Jewish Christian audience audience. Um, Contribution to the Bible, James continually called for obedience to the law of God. He never referred to the ceremonial law, but to the moral law. While some people think James is at odds with Paul about the Christian's relationship to the law, both authors actually combine to give us a solid understanding of the Old Testament law. So they're both needed in order to fully understand it. Even though they have kind of different vantages, both of them are true and, and are, are, are vital for that. So Paul showed believers that Christ met the demands of the law and thus brings us to salvation, Christ alone. But James showed believers that their obedience to God's moral standards is an indication of a living faith, which is a life lived in step with the one who met the demands of the law. 
Some choose to oversimplify the distinctions between the Old Testament and the New Testament and say the Old Testament is grounded in works and the New Testament is grounded in faith. But James brings both Testaments together to show that faith and works are integrally related in both the Old and New Testaments. So it's not one or the other. The Old Testament, you had to have works. In the New Testament, you now have to have faith. But you actually have to have both. They're they're vital for each other. The faith produces the works. Interesting. Um, we're, almost, we're getting to the end here. Structure. It says the book of James is a letter. It says the book of James is, an, is a letter or an epistle. Though only the greeting conforms to the ancient Greek form exemplified in Paul's letters, especially Galatians. Um, the greeting identifies the author as James, includes a title demonstrating the source of his authority, uh, which is, it quotes a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It names the recipi- recipients. It says the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, and it conveys greetings um, in the first word or in the first verse. Um, so epistles were often used as a means of spurring the recipients to a change in behavior or belief based on the authoritative word and guidance of the sender. The book of James has been compared to Old Testament wisdom literature, and while there are wisdom elements in James, such as comparing the wisdom of the world with the wisdom that comes from God, it also contains exhortations and prophetic elements not common to wisdom literature. And then this is the final little section that talks, because this is the Charles Spurgeon study Bible, it says this is what Charles Spurgeon said about the book of James. It says, When blessed of God, our trials ripen us. Believers who have endured a great deal of affliction exhibit a sort of mellowness that you never see in other people. It cannot be mistaken or imitated. A certain measure of sunlight is needed to bring out the real flavor of fruits. When a fruit has felt its measure of burning sun, it develops a lusciousness we delight in. So is it in men and women. A certain amount of trouble appears to be necessary to create a sugar of graciousness in them so that they may contain the rich, ripe juice of a gracious character. All right, so that's the intro on James. I know that's I told you it was going to be a little bit long, but that's we need to know the background in order to know where we're going. So a little bit, just again, the summary of what we just read. James was written between AD, which means after death or Anno Domini, which means after Jesus was born Um, for the year 48 and the year 52 seems most likely. And it was written to Jewish Christians. So people who were of the Jewish descent, but who had also turned their life to Christ, also known as Messianic Jews, Jews who believe in Jesus Christ. And it's written like with a with a mixture of of things with with kind of some old wisdom literature, kind of like the book of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, but it's also written kind of like some of the some of Paul's letters, um, and it's just kind of this weird. It's different than all the other New Testament books, essentially. So, yeah, that's that's kind of what's up. So let's let's dive right on into it. And so let's go. Here we go. James 1, verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. And so it says, okay, Jewish people scattered throughout Gentile lands. That's what the footnote says there. Okay. Verse 2, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete lacking nothing so that's verses one through four there and i'll kind of since again i'm halfway through this study today i'll kind of hash over what all this means and and go a little bit quicker so if you look in uh when it says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, it's talking about anything, temptations, um, bad things that happen in the world, bad things that happen to you. Consider it great joy or pure joy. Some some versions say pure joy. So this is what pure joy is. You can, you can consider it 
a pure joy when you face those trials. So why? How on earth can you consider that pure joy? Well, verse 3 says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So you start with faith and you end with endurance. So again, you gotta you got to remember that in James here, it's talking to Jewish believers. He's talking to people he knows who are believers. They're Christians. They understand that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, so he's not talking to people who don't believe. So that's why he starts with faith. Faith is the is the starting point they're starting at. So for you who are a non-believer, this this uh, process doesn't necessarily apply to you right now. It doesn't really apply until you have faith in Jesus Christ to be the Son of the Living God who died on the cross for our sins and resurrected to prove that He was God and He is more powerful than sin and death and to give us a way into reconciliation with Him through believing in Him and trusting in Him and, and living our lives accordingly. And so um, it starts with faith. Faith produces endurance, which immediately pointed my eyes to Second Peter 1. Uh, because I've studied Scripture a little bit, uh, I know what, what other parts of Scripture say. Not all of it, but what parts of other Scripture say. So when I, when I hear faith produces endurance, it points me to Second Peter 1. And if you'll, if you'll switch over to that, we'll follow through here. So Second Peter 1 starts in we're going to start in verse 3 and it says his talking about Jesus divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness and so let, let's just stop there for a second it says his divine power has given us everything required for life and god and godliness so that's what God's purpose is. God's purpose for us is to live a life of godliness, to have life, have true spiritual life that is godly. So what does godly mean? Well, godly is simply, uh, it's something that you attain according to other parts of scripture. And I went through it and, and looked through the uh, all the Greek interlinear. Every time the Bible uses the word that it uses here in, in godliness, it's talking about something to be attained. Um, so if you go on to the blue letter, uh, or biblehub.com, you can see these Greek interlinear, uh, writings or just type into Google, uh, like what I did was second Peter one, three Greek. And when you type that in, it'll pop up and it'll say, you know, interlinear and you click on it and you find the word that it uses here when it says godliness, and I can't remember exactly what that was. But um, it, then you click on it, and it shows all the other times in the Bible where it uses that word, that exact wording. And every time it's talking about something to be attained, you attain godliness, or we have received this godliness, or we have godliness, or whatever it may be. But it's something to be attained. And so that's interesting. So God wants us to have life and godliness, to attain this godliness uh, in our lives and how through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So we need to have the knowledge of him, of God, of Jesus, who called us by his own glory and goodness. So we know here that God is glorious and God is good. And I, I highlighted good here and you'll see why in a second, but God is good. So he, God is good and he has divine power, as it says in verse 3, and he wants us to have a life, have life and godliness. And then as we get into verse 4, it says, By these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So he's given us a promise. God is good, as we know. And he's given us a promise that we can share in the divine nature. As we see up there, God has divine power. He also has divine nature. That's how he gets this divine power, I assume. That we can share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So God is good. 
He promises us that we can uh, share in his divine nature and escape corruption. And he wants us to have life and godliness. So this is what we know so far. So this is what we know so far. I'm sorry, something happened in there. But uh, then it goes into verse 5. It says, for this very reason. So all of that is very important that we just learned there. That was the summary. For this very reason. So because of that, because God is good. I'm going to repeat it again. Because God is good and has given us a promise and, and wants us to have life and godliness. He has given us a precious promise that we can share in his divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world because of evil desire. And for that reason, here's what we need to do. And this is so practical. This is as practical as it gets. And this is what um, that James 1 verse um, 3 reminded me of. Okay, So when James 1 3 says, Because you know that the testing of your faith, faith produces endurance. So faith produces endurance, right? So back here, 2 Peter 1.5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. That's where it starts. Supplement your faith. So you've got faith in Jesus. So supplement that. So add to that goodness. And add to that goodness, knowledge. Knowledge, self-control. Self-control, endurance, endurance, godliness. And I'll actually just stop there for a second. So it goes on a couple more, but let's just kind of walk through that together a little bit. And this is, again, a recap. So this is kind of what God showed me earlier. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. So it starts with faith, and then there's endurance in this, right? So starting with faith and getting to endurance. Because James made it seem as as the ideal goal to get to is endurance, Right? And if you can, flip back to James 1. And if you could just tab both of those, that would be much easier. But flip back to James 1. And you'll see, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But then in verse 4 it says, And let your endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So James starts it with faith. He says, let's start with your faith and let it produce endurance. But then he says that if endurance has its full effect, then you will be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So it seems like the first step is faith and the last step is endurance, right? So that you can be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. And so when I flip over here, I remember this verse and how this goes. And I see faith and I see endurance. So that there's got to be something to that. However, in 2 Peter, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And so here, endurance isn't the top thing. It's not the last thing. So is there a disconnect? Is one person speaking the truth and the other not? I don't know. Is this a contradiction in the Bible? And so I dove into that a little bit more. And it, gosh, God is so God's so crazy in how he does things and how he writes. This is obviously his word because how this plays out together. And so goodness, right? Remember, it's it's God's desire, as it says in verse 3 of 2 Peter 1. It's God's desire for us to have life and godliness. That's what he wants for us, okay? And so we're going to start with faith. Faith, supplement that with goodness. So what is goodness? Goodness is anything that really makes God proud, right? It's something that reflects God because we saw up here that God is good, in verse uh, 3 there, it says, you know, called us by his own glory and goodness. So God is good. He has his own goodness. So when we supplement our faith with goodness, it's something that pleases God. It's something that has some characteristics of God there. God is good. So it it made me flip over, actually, to Philippians 4.8. Okay? If you'll flip over with me to Philippians 4.8. Okay, so 
So Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. So that is essentially what goodness is. It's Goodness actually... Let, let me rephrase that because what I wrote to the side on uh, 2 Peter 1.5 was when, when I circled goodness, I wrote beside it that we need to say, do, and think things that are godly, that are like God, that are good, right? Something that pleases God. Say, do, and think things that please God. That's what goodness is. It's not just do because you can do good things but not think um, not not have good motive behind it not say good things right and and that's not pleasing to god fully you can think good things but not do them and not say them right and that's not pleasing to god pleasing to god so it's saying doing and thinking all things that are that are pleasing to god and so that's why I flipped over to that because we know that doing and saying are powerful but it's not just doing and saying. It's also thinking according to Philippians 4, 8, right? Because he wants us to uh, think on these things, dwell on these things, as it says, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, and if there's any moral excellence or anything praiseworthy, to think on these things or to dwell on these things. That's what God wants for us. So it's saying, doing, and thinking things that are pleasing to God. So we're supplementing our faith in God with saying, doing, and thinking things that are pleasing to God. Now, it's not just, it doesn't end there because it says supplement that with, with knowledge. So we're adding knowledge to that. What does he mean there? Well, knowledge is just really an understanding, right, of why we're doing what we're doing. Okay? So it's an understanding of why those things, saying, doing, and thinking those things are good. Why it pleases God. Why it's good for so it's diving more into not just what he wants from us, but why he wants those things from us. So we have faith in God, and we know we need to do things that are pleasing to Him. So we start doing, saying, and thinking those things. But then we got to supplement with an understanding of why He wants us to do those things, so that we can understand His heart more. Does that make sense? So then it says supplement that knowledge with self-control. Well, what is self-control? Self-control, according to other scriptures, self-control is a consistency. It's the ability to do it again and again. Okay, it's not just a one-time thing and never do it again. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a uh, experiment. You want to be able to test it in science. You want to be able to repeat it over and over again. It's not just this miraculous thing that happens once and never goes again. Self-control is the ability to continue to do it again and again. So we have faith. Then we start doing, saying, and thinking things that are pleasing to God. Then we start to understand why we're doing that. And then because we understand why we're doing that, then we can start to, once you know the why behind something, then you can do it over and over and over again. I heard a great message one time. Uh, it was actually just a motivating speech, not by a pastor, not by anything, but uh, it may have been Will Smith, to be honest. But it was talking about the why. Having the why behind what you're doing is what gives you motivation to keep doing it over and over again. And so that's essentially what it's saying. Now that you know the why, have self-control to do it over and over again. And God's giving all these to you as you do it. He blesses you with with these abilities, right? He blesses you with goodness and knowledge and self-control. I mean, Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so these are things that God gives you throughout the process. But anyways, self-control, you're, you're taking your self-control, that self-control that you have, and you're supplementing that with endurance, so endurance. So now that you 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 know what you're doing, you know why you're doing it, and it's all stemming from faith, and you've done it over and over again. Well, you continue that. You don't just do that for a day or a week or a month, but you continue it for as long as you possibly can. There's a starting point, and there's an end. And it had me thinking uh, about the scripture where where Peter where Paul says, you know, run the race. Or Hebrews twelve, I believe, is where it is. 
So let's flip over to Hebrews 12. I believe it's Hebrews 12.1. Sorry. Flip over to Hebrews 12.1. Yeah, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. And uh, interestingly, interestingly enough, the word for endurance used in James, the word for endurance used in Second Peter, and the word for endurance used in uh, Hebrews 12 is all the same word. It's hypomene. Hypomene. That's, I think I'm saying it right. H-Y-P-O-M-O-N-E. That's how we would we would spell it in English. And I found that online. Again, the, the Greek interlinear. It's super helpful. And normally we'd be walking through this, but again, I've, I've done a lot of this study already, and uh, this is just kind of a brief overview. So hypomene is the same endurance. And faith in James 1 is the same word used uh, by Peter in 2 Peter 1, which is pisteos. And we've talked about that on a, on a different episode. I think it was on the, the first open book where pisteos is like, you know, this, this belief that you, you live out. It's, a, it's one that you trust and that you can count on. Count on. It's an active belief. So it's not just believing, but it's actively believing in it and trusting it. And so in that case, you start with faith and you get to endurance. But then again, Second Peter talk, goes on and it says godliness and brotherly affection and love. So are those other things too? Was, was James wrong in saying that endurance was the end? I don't think so. Because when you look up the word for godliness... Let's see if I can look that up again. Um, we'll just type in 2 Peter 1, uh, 6, Greek. See, simple as that. And then Bible Hub, 2 Peter 1, 6, interlinear is what it says. And then you find the word that they use for godliness, and it's Eusebian. Okay, Eusebian is the word that they use there. Well, that is... Is like I had mentioned earlier, it's something to be attained. It's something to be gifted to. And so when God wants us to have a life and godliness, well, that's when he gives it to us right there. It's when you've got the faith and you start doing, saying, and thinking those, those things that are pleasing to God, things that are good, things that please him, and then you supplement that with knowledge, which is an understanding of why you're doing it so you can understand his heart more. And then you supplement that with consistency and self-control. And then you supplement that with doing it over a long period of time. Okay? Then when you do that, then God will give you that in, that godliness, what he calls you godly. Right? So he then gives you this title of godly at that point, which means not that you're God, but that you're reflecting God when you do good things in faith over or with a knowledge and understanding of why God wants you to do that. So you're doing it with the right motives and all that. And then you're doing it consistently over long period of time. Then you're reflecting God. You are being godly. And so that is essentially the first stage of living a godly life. You get to that point and then you're actually living a godly life because you're doing it consistently over time, pleasing the Lord. Within the second stage, because here's what I've what, what I learned here is that because in 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and 16, it tells us twice that God is love. And so when it finishes here with love, what it's saying is that God is making us into love. We are becoming love. Okay, So if we're becoming love, then God is making us like Him. So God is love. And so what does that mean? So God gives us godliness. Okay, That's something that, we, uh, that He has given us, that we have attained by his grace. That's our first stage. Second stage is is uh, what what it says here in verse seven: godliness with brotherly affection. So that word is pisteia, or uh, not pisteia, is phileo, phileo, like the you know Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Phila phileo 
means brotherly love, brotherly affection. It's the affection that you have for a sibling or a family member, somebody that you care deeply about, that you're willing to sacrifice for, go out of your way uh, uh, to care for them and truly get to know them uh, deeply. It's that kind of love, like a friend, like somebody that you really care about. So God grants you with that because you first have to have phileo before you can have the last stage, which is agape. And so when it says brotherly affection with love, the word it uses there in Greek is agape. Agape then is this, it's instead of a heart for people, it's a life for people, right? It's this, uh, it's, it's something that God has given us, uh, to, to, that reflects him. It's the type of love that God has for us. It, it's where you completely pursue, you completely forgive, and you completely sacrifice for all people the way that God himself did. Since God is love, you live a life that God lives. You live a life that that reflects God perfectly. So the goal is for you to reach this, you become love, right? So it starts with faith, ends with love. But that, But essentially, love is unattainable. To become love, it's it's something that we will always approach, kind of like I mentioned in the first uh, entry, I believe. It's like this asymptote, right, where you're constantly approaching it, but you'll never quite become full, perfect love because that would mean you're God. <laughs> and we're never going to become God. We're never going to be perfect people. But we're, 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 we're carrying that. We're, we're approaching that. So the brotherly affection is this, you know, this heart for people, this caring for people that we can attain. But going back to that James 1, how it ends in endurance, that is as far as we can go, right? That's all that we have power of. So in this list of faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love, that's as far as we can go. Endurance is as far as we have control over. So that's what James is talking about. Like you have, you can choose to believe or not. And that gets real theologically uh, debatable between certain sects and, and beliefs in, in the Christian church. But from the way that I see scripture and the way I read it, you get to choose your faith. You get to choose to believe or not. Now, God will present it to you, and he's the one that changes your heart. He's the one that does all the work. But I don't believe that faith is a work. Faith is not a work in and of itself. That's why the Bible says faith without works is dead, because it's showing that they're, they're separate things. But uh, they're, they're two separate things, but they work hand in hand. And so, anyways, that's a whole other discussion. But So you have the ability to have faith. You have the ability to do, think, and say good things. Again, God gives you the strength to do so, but you choose that. You choose to, to learn more, to, to have knowledge of, of why. You choose to do your Bible study. You choose to listen to this podcast and work through this together. You choose self-control. When those temptations and those struggles and stuff come up, you choose which one you're going to do based on your desires. God gives you the power, but you choose it. And then endurance, you choose to do that over a long period of time or to stop. But as far as godliness goes, you can't choose godliness. That's something, that's a title that God gives you and grants you with once you've been doing that stuff. And then brotherly affection, that's something that God gives you once you start reflecting him because you start looking more and more like love. So brotherly affection is, so that phileo is as close as you can look before you get to agape, if that makes sense. And then agape is the final. And so... That's kind of where I'd gotten in my Bible study, and to be honest, we're getting pretty late in this in this uh, episode. I want to I want to dive into this a little bit more, though, if, if you're willing to bear with me a little bit, um, because I want to make this real and make this an open book and not just a sermon. So that's where I've gotten. Okay, and so interestingly enough, so I just kind of want to continue on from there. Second um, Peter one. Verse 8, to continue, because it finished their godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And then it goes on. It says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Oh, so right there. 
it says, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Well, if you go back to verse 3 there, if you're looking at it, if you go back to verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, talking about Jesus, who called us by His own glory and goodness. So that starts there with through the knowledge of Jesus, Jesus Christ. And then right there in verse 8, it says, this will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, he's he's talking here to, to non-believers, or I mean, he's talking here to believers. Uh, Peter is here, obviously, because he's like, you know about Jesus Christ. You know him. You, you, you have this relationship with him. And he starts his list with faith as well. So you can tell here, because it says supplement your faith. So he's saying you already have faith. So Peter here is talking to somebody or to people who are believers uh, in, in Christ. And so it's saying, do you want to be useless? Do you want to have this knowledge and have this understanding of God for absolutely no reason at all? Because I don't. Why would you ever want to do something or believe something and be useless in it. So he's saying, man, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, so you're doing one at a time and they're growing, that uh, faith grows into goodness or grows, the faith grows, and then you supplement the goodness and that goodness grows. And you supplement the knowledge and the knowledge grows. Supplement the knowledge, self-control grows, all that kind of stuff. And that continues all the way down. So it says if you do that, then that will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, wow. it says the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. So, it's saying this this stops you from being useless and unfruitful, but also, if you don't have these, ooh, that's a good word right there. If you don't have these, then that means you are blind and short-sighted. You have forgotten. You have forgotten the cleansing of your past sins. So, at least me in my walk, in my Christian walk, man, uh, it is at the point. And that's kind of the idea of pedestal is understanding how low you are, right? Understanding what you really are. We're dirt people. We're dust people. We're people created from dust and dirt. We're dirty and and we've sinned. So we're, we're also not just literally dirt people, but we're sinfully dirt people or spiritually dirt people. And when we remit, when we forget that and we think we're something super special and think we're like the best things ever or that we don't need God, that's the issue. And so you won't grow in these things. And, but if, if you understand how dark your sin is and that kind of stuff, then the person who lacks these things, uh, if you don't have these things, that means you've forgotten the cleansing of your past sins. Because when I remember what I've done and the dark stuff that I've done and the, the things that I know don't please the Lord and that are really... Um, saddened him and offended him it's those times when i'm like man i got to dive into the lord more i've got to grow in this i've i've got to dive into his scripture more and all that kind of stuff and so then i'm more willing to supplement you know to grow in my faith and to grow in goodness and knowledge and self-control and endurance and so if you're not doing that that means you've you've essentially forgotten who you truly are forgotten what the sins have really done to you man that's good right there oh man therefore brothers and sisters make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things you will never stumble for in this way entry into the eternal kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ will be richly provided for you for in this way this is how for in this way and it's interesting because in verse 5 there it said, for this very reason. So he's basically saying this is part A, this is part B, this is part C. God's God's good. He he requires life and or he want, wants life and godliness for you through the knowledge of him. And then uh, he's given us your promise that you can escape the corruption and share with him in his divine nature if you will grow in these things. And if you're not growing in these things, that means you've forgotten where you're at. And and, and 
and how you've been cleansed from your past sins and you're short-sighted and blind. But if you do these things, for in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Man, that's awesome. Gosh, man. (laughs) Entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. So this is your, for all you practical people out there, this is your steps. One, two, three, four, five, right? Supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance. And he will gift you godliness, brotherly affection, and love. That's essentially what that verse is saying there. And man, gosh, dude, this is it. This is the practical steps, right? Like, that's how God is going to enter, uh, bring us into his eternal kingdom. And I think, don't take these as works, right? Because faith is... Again, he's talking to believers here. He's not talking to non-believers saying you have to do these things in order to earn your faith or in order to earn your salvation. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying you have been cleansed. You have been cleansed. He's talking to people who believe in him. This is not talking about these are the steps in order to become believers. These are the steps in order to not be useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of God. These are the steps so that you can share in God's divine nature right here on earth and escape the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. There's so much corruption as we can see now with all this racial tension, with all this disease, with everything that's going on right now. So much corruption in in high places, in these businesses, everywhere there's corruption. And God's saying, If you follow these steps, this is justification or sanctification, my bad, not justification. Justification is being justified in Christ. That is the work of God where you simply answer a call and say, yes, God, I want to follow you or no, I don't. Because again, true love, God, true love gives an option. I can't force you into a relationship with me. I'll present it to you in a million different ways. But if I'm going to truly love you, I have to give you that option. And so that's what justification is. But sanctification is the process of growing in your faith. Okay? It's growing in your walk with the Lord. And so that's what this is saying here. That's This is the process of sanctification. Supplement your faith. I've got faith, man. I've got this faith, and I want to do good things. Say, do, and think good things because God has given me new desires to do such things. Because His Holy Spirit's living within me now. So I'm going to do, say, and think those things that are pleasing to Him. But it's sometimes hard to fully do that when you don't know why you're doing that. You don't know why it's displeasing to God to do these other things that you want to do. And so God gives, so He says, man, supplement that with knowledge. Dive into my scripture. Pray with me more. Talk to people who know these things or who, who have studied these things. Get into the pedestal community and talk this out right on the comment board so we can grow. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. This is one of the verses in the Old Testament. Um, maybe Ezekiel. I can't remember exactly. But uh, that's what that's what it says to us. That's what the Bible says to us. Um, let me see. I don't want to steer you wrong. Iron sharpens iron. Oh gosh, never mind. It's uh it's Proverbs. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. Yep. Iron sharpens iron and one sharpens the face of his neighbor. Or one one man sharpens another. Um so that's that's what we're supposed to do. Let's let's grow in that knowledge and then supplement that knowledge with self control in doing those things consistently. It's all about consistency. He doesn't want it once, he doesn't want you well, I thought a good thought today, that's good. No, it's Think, say, and do these things with self-control consistently, and then uh, you know supplement that with endurance over a long period of time. That's how you grow in your walk with the Lord, and in doing so, He gives you the title of godliness. And so you'll supplement all of that with godliness, and you start to reflect Him and look like God. And it's something that He has awarded you, given you in your walk and then supplement that godliness with brotherly affection. You, he gives you this, uh, it's, imagine him giving you the ingredients for the smoothie. So you're, you're growing in all that way. Again, he's given you each of those steps, but now he's given you titles. Essentially you become godly. You become, uh, a, a phileo. You become a brotherly affectionate person and you live a life that shows 
brotherly affection. You're adding that to your smoothie as well. And then uh, you grow that into love, agape, agapic love, where you're living a life that reflects God perfectly, where you're forgiving always, pursuing always, loving always, um, sacrificing always. So that, man, that's good. And, man, I just want to kind of go back to James 1 because that is kind of where we started and read what, because this is a Charles Spurgeon study Bible, kind of read what it says here. So what one of the footnotes has, it talks about that verse 3. We'll kind of go back to our original text. So it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. Consider it a great joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Verse 3 says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So Spurgeon writes on that down here, and he's such a brilliant mind, man. I love him. So um, don't agree with everything that he believes, but I love him. So uh, he's definitely a brother in the faith that I wish I would have gotten to talk to before he passed. But verse 3, it says, the testing of your faith Note the essential point that is assailed by temptation. Your faith is the target that all the arrows are shot at. And when you look at Ephesians 6, now that he says that, I'm thinking Ephesians 6, it talks about your, uh, um, it talks about your uh, um, armor of God, put on the full armor of God. And so I'm looking it up now, Ephesians 6. Sorry, I keep looking those things up on the internet. It's better to look it up on uh, the Bible app. Here we go. Ephesians 6, full armor of God, right? says, and so it talks about all our different armor, but so I'll skip a lot of that. But it says, in all circumstances, in verse 16, it says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So faith is our shield. That's how we protect ourselves. And that's how we protect our body. And our body armor is we use the shield of faith. That's how the enemy is going to try to attack us. But the faith is how what we're using to block it. And so that's what he's talking about here. He says, your faith is the target that all your arrows are shot at. Faith is as vital to salvation as the heart is to the body. Therefore, the javelins of the enemy are mainly aimed at this essential grace. Your faith is peculiarly obnoxious to Satan and to the world. If you had no faith, they would not be your enemies. Faith is the is that blessed grace that is most pleasing to God and therefore most displeasing to the devil. By faith, God is greatly glorified, and by faith, Satan is greatly annoyed. He rages at faith because he sees in it his own defeat and the victory of grace. Man, that's a good word right there. That's a good word right there. And actually, he has he has um, he has a sub uh, subheading a some commentary on verse four too. And so, since we read through four, we'll just add into that. It says so in verse four. Verse four says, "And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing." So that's where our original text ended. Here's what Paul says, or here's what uh, Spurgeon says on that. It says, "Mature and complete." The most valuable thing a person can obtain in this world is that which has most to do with his truest self. A man may acquire a good house, but suppose he is in bad health. What is the good of his fine mansion? Mm. Mm, That's good. The best thing is that which will make him a better man, make him right, true, pure, and holy. Man, and that's flipping back to... Philippians uh, 4.8, right? We just read that a second ago. Flip back to Philippians 4.8. So he said, The best thing is that which will make him a better man, make him right, true, pure, and holy. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's anything of moral excellence or anything praiseworthy, dwell, think on these things. So that's good. Best thing is that which will make him a better man. Make him right, true, pure, and holy. If our afflictions tend by trying our faith to breed endurance, and that endurance tends 
to make us into mature and complete people in Christ Jesus, then we may be glad of trials. Oh, come on. Because that's what it's talking about. That's what this whole verse is talking about. Consider it great joy when you experience, face, experience, whatever you want to use there, various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And then endurance has its full effect, but you're incomplete, lacking in nothing. Man, I I knew that, but we kind of got sidetracked, and now that goes right back to it. So what sparks all of this stuff, right, the faith becoming endurance, are trials. So we have to be, that's why we consider it pure joy. Come on, y'all, come on. So when, sorry, let me finish what Spurgeon says here, and then we'll talk about this. It says, when blessed of God, our trials ripen us. Believers who have endured a great deal of affliction exhibit a sort of mellowness that you never see in other people. It cannot be mistaken or imitated. A certain measure of sunlight is needed to bring out the real flavor of fruits. When a fruit has felt its measure of burning sun, it develops a lusciousness we delight in. So is it in men and women. A certain amount of trouble appears to be necessary to create a sugar of graciousness in them so that they may contain the rich, ripe juice of a gracious character. Y'all, this is elevating this higher than I would ever thought. Uh, so James 1 and 2 Peter 1 are so connected, it's crazy. Because um, it's talking about consider it pure joy when you face these trials. Because it... It, it, the trials is what makes your faith turn into endurance. That's what James 1 is telling us there. Second Peter right, 1 is talking about make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control with endurance. That How that process happens, if you look at James, is by trials. Your faith becomes endurance through trials. When things get hard, when you have temptation and uh I believe James actually later goes on into talking about God's not tempting you. Yeah, verse 13, No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Yo, and that can... This is crazy. Is drawn away and enticed by their own evil desire. And then you flip over, because that was in James 1, verse 13. And 14. But you flip over to 2 Peter 1, and it talks about, right, in, in uh, verse uh, 4, says, By these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Y'all, that is perfectly aligned. Because James said, Each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. So our temptations, our, our, our own evil desires, the enemy uses those to pull us away from God, to pull us out of our faith and so that we can't, can't uh, attain endurance, so we can't attain that godliness and brotherly affection and love. That's how the enemy uses it, uh, uses that our evil desires, right? But as mentioned in Second Peter, uh, God promises that we can share in his divine nature nature, and escape the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. He promises we can do that and attain that life and godliness. And he gives us the steps of once we've believed, again, this is after you're a believer. This is not for non-believers to start here. Well, it is to start at faith, but you're not going to be able to try to follow these steps without faith. It all starts with faith. So this once and once you have that first step of faith, then you're a believer, right? You you believe in Jesus and who He is. That's where the faith comes in. But then you go through the process, and uh, it says in verse uh, verse nine, right? The person who lacks these things is blind and short sighted, and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Man, and so going back to James, it says, you know. God's not tempting anybody. Since God's not tempted by evil, he doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. And then it's got its own, gosh, and then it's got, here in James 1 and 15, it's got its own little uh, 
process. So just as faith supplements goodness and knowledge and self-control, endurance, all that kind of stuff that we mentioned, and it finally ends in love, right? Godliness with brotherly affection and with love. James 1.15 says, Then after desire has conceived. So once the desire is born, so instead of faith, you've got desire. You've got this juxtaposition of faith and desire. And man, God is so cool. So desire is conceived. It gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So just as faith, man, because if you go back to James 1 there, it says faith produces endurance. So it tells us, hey, this is how endurance is built is through faith. These trials, you start with faith, then these trials happen and you attain endurance. Well, what this is saying, James says, you know, 12 verses later, it says after desire has has been born, so in juxtaposition to faith, desire gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, instead of endurance being fully grown to where you are mature and complete, lacking nothing, when desire, when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Y'all, the Bible's so cool. And it continues on. That's why I could go here forever. And I know this has been a long episode, but God's just that good, man. And that's what I love about doing this Bible study. It fires me up. I know the first part was kind of me rehashing what I had already learned. This last part has has been my Bible study. And so I pray that you're excited about it and that God taught you something through this. We're going to stop right there. Um, But very practically, man, for you believers, this is essentially saying if you have faith, let faith produce endurance. And how does that happen? It says, whenever you experience various trials. So consider it great joy. Consider it pure joy whenever you face or experience various trials. Because that's how that process starts. You have faith, and then various trials come about. What Maybe it's temptation. Maybe it's uh, going through hardship. Maybe it's seeing the world crumble before your eyes and make you have depression or all these things. When those trials come in, that's when the test starts, and that's when this motor, you can either allow it to pull you away from faith, or you can step into that and allow that faith to grow through this trial in goodness. And you take the step of goodness, say, doing, and thinking. Or you can either allow the enemy to make you doubt and the enemy to make you worry and go into depression, or you can say, you know, I'm going to say, do, and thank things that are holy and pure and lovely and commendable worthy of praise, like Philippians 4, 8 says, and you can dive into that. And when that goodness, and, and that starts that, that cycle of goodness turning to knowledge, knowledge and, and supplement, not turning to it, but supplementing that goodness with knowledge, with self-control and endurance so that you can have godliness, that God will supplement that endurance and all that work and that consistency. He will start adding something that you can't attain on your own, that he which you can't attain any of this on, on your own, but you can't attain it all. Like there, You have something to do with getting from faith to endurance, but you have nothing to do with getting the title of godliness or getting brotherly affection or love. That's just God giving himself away to you. Man, this is so cool. The Bible's so awesome. So dive into that. And this may sound crazy, but I pray that you will pray for trials. Because if we can consider it pure joy and we see that 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 is what starts the machine that can help us grow into love, as Peter says here, which is becoming like God, or have us become godly, which is what God's goal and hope is for our lives. That, man, that is what we want. And so let's pray for trials. That sounds crazy. Let's let's embrace these this the, the trials that have happened in this world, the racism. Let's embrace it and say, you know what? I'm going to take a step of goodness. I'm going to say, do, and think the next good thing that I need to do. Whatever is pure, lovely, holy, great, uh, worthy of repute, of moral excellence, I'm going to do those things. I'm not going to allow the enemy to step in. I'm not going to allow my mind to doubt what I should do. I'm just going to step into what the Bible says. I'm going to, and then you, you supplement that with knowledge. I'm going to dive into the Word to understand what I should do exactly and why I should do it. Supplement that with self-control, consistency, doing it over and over again, and then supplement that with endurance. 
so that I can be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. The Bible is so cool how it all hooks together. Man, I could go on with this all night, but we're going to stop there because this has been a long episode. Thank you guys for hanging in. Um, Please go on to Pedestal, the Facebook page, right under this link, uh, the link to this episode, and please just put down any scripture that stuck out in your mind, any thoughts that you had, anything God revealed to you, any ideas that you have, any questions that you have, any next steps that you want to go, any thoughts that you have, please write down there. And let's please, please, please not make this argumentative because there's a lot of things that God does and God speaks to us. I may have even said some controversial things there. Please, let's not get in to an argument because that is not what God wants. We'll go to another day where Jesus prayed that we would be united just as the Father and the Son are one. Just as He and the Father are one, He prayed that the church would be united in that same way. So let's not make this about argument, arguing. And if anything this world needs right now, it's unity. So let's find unity in the truth and in the Bible. Let's talk things over. Let's let's go at things with a humble heart and not try to argue, uh, not try to think, oh, well, that, that ruffled my feathers a little bit because now I don't know how to respond. Just ask a question in love. Just respond to other people in love. This is how a community is built. This is how a relationship is built. Me and my wife, this is how our relationship's built, is is through good, honest, humble, loving communication, not by being mean or trying to cut, undercut people. So thank you guys for so much for listening. Much love. God bless. Talk to you next week.